It is the best-selling book in history. No volume ever written has been more loved and quoted. And its words, sometimes simple and sometimes mysterious, should always be studied carefully. It is the Bible, the Word of God. Welcome to Bible Answers Live, providing accurate and practical answers to all your Bible questions. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor. Hello, listening friends. Would you like to hear an amazing fact? On September 4, 2019, a 73-year-old woman in southern India, the state of Andhra Pradesh, gave birth to twin girls. Mrs. Yaramati said that she and her husband, who is 82 years old, have been married for some 57 years and have always wanted children, but they've been unable to conceive until now. She adds that she felt stigmatized in her community, in her village, and they'd often exclude her from social gatherings because she was not a mother. They would call me a childless lady, she said. The elderly couple first approached a fertility clinic about having children last year, and then after some encouraging test results, the doctors agreed to perform one round of in vitro fertilization. And then as they say in French, voila. The twin girls, each weighing about two and a half pounds, were delivered by cesarean section, which is typical for a high-risk pregnancy. Both babies are doing fine, and Mrs. Yaramati said, this is the happiest time of my life. You know, the Bible says this is not the first time that an elderly mother gave birth. Stay with us, friends. We're going to learn more on this edition of Bible Answers Live. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, accurate and practical answers to your Bible questions. Hello, listening friends. We're so thankful that you have tuned in for Bible Answers Live. And I am Doug Batchelor. Pastor Jean Ross is out for the night. And so with our team here of engineers and volunteers, we're going to do our best to man the program. If you're tuning in for the first time, this is a live inter, uh, national interactive Bible study. And we've been doing this program for about 23 years now around the country. And we just love talking about the Word of God. And uh, I know we have some friends that are not only listening on a variety of stations and satellite radio, but they may be watching on our Facebook page. This program, you can see it for what it's worth. You can see it streaming at the Doug Batchelor Facebook page or at the Amazing Facts Facebook page. And as we always do, we're going to begin the program with a word of prayer. Loving Lord, again, we always come before you knowing that uh, these words are spirit and they are life and spiritual things are spiritually discerned. So we pray for the Holy Ghost to give us understanding as we open this blessed book. And we just thank you, Lord. We pray that Jesus will be in our midst wherever we are. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I tell you, friends, that uh, caught my attention when I heard the news report about a 73-year-old woman that gave birth. Now, that's phenomenal right there. But to twins, no less. And the husband is 82. <laughs> you know, I had to actually question the uh, fertility clinic that would accept a person coming, a couple that age, and saying, we want to have a baby. You know, some of those folks in India live a long time, and let's hope that she can get them through college. But uh, I've actually been to Andhra Pradesh there in southern India, and the, it is so important 
for them that they have children and they have a family, something like it was in Bible times. And as I mentioned, there's a couple of stories of miracle births in the Bible. Elizabeth, of course, that you can read in Luke chapter 1. This is the mother of John the Baptist, Zachariah and Elizabeth. And it says they were both well advanced in years. It doesn't tell us her age, but it seemed like she was way past what you'd expect having children. They'd kind of given up on the possibility. And then they had John the Baptist. And then, of course, you read about Sarah. It tells us she was 90. Now, 90 back then was not quite like 90 today because Abraham lived to 175. So they had longer life expectancy, but 90 was still way beyond what you'd expect a person to have children. Matter of fact, it tells us in the Bible that Sarah had already gone through menopause. So that was a miracle. And then, of course, you've got the miracle of Jesus' birth. And you read in Matthew 1.18, Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. His mother was betrothed to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And then you read a few verses later, it says, Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary to you as wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. You know, what happened to Mary? A woman in the Bible analogy is something like a church. And, and here you've got this woman who has this miracle, miracle new birth. And then Jesus tells us that unless we experience the new birth, we cannot be transformed into his image. So it's sort of a symbol. I mean, it really didn't happen. But what happened there is also a, an analogy of what needs to happen in us. We must be born again. There needs to be a miracle birth of God's spirit in our hearts where Christ lives within. It's like that song they sing, Little Town of Bethlehem, versus be born in us today. Have you experienced the new birth, friends? God wants you to, and we have an offer that I think will be a blessing to you. It's free. We'll send you the book, Holy Spirit, The Need. Holy Spirit, The Need, written by yours truly. If you'd like a copy of that, simply call our resource line, which is 800-835-6747. And that's different from the phone line to call in your question. To get your resource, it's 800-835-6747. Ask for the book on the Holy Spirit. We'll be offering other resources through the night, so you might want to keep that number or your pen handy. You can also read that at the Amazing Facts website under our free resources. That's simply amazingfacts.org. Once again, to call in with your questions, 800-463-7297. We're going to go to the phones. We're going to be talking to Holly, who's calling from Alabama. Holly, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Hey, brother. Uh, we are here with Elijah Radio in Birmingham. We have a quick question. Uh, we just wanted to follow up on a, a challenge that one of our speakers gave us one day. He said, if you only have 30 seconds to a minute uh, in the business world is an elevator speech to give the kind of the last message, the gospel, the more than just the gospel, but really like an end time present truth kind of gospel. How would you give that in 30 seconds to a minute? Well, first of all, I, that it is difficult, of course, to make a complete gospel presentation, but we should never underestimate what the Holy Spirit can do. I heard one time Charles Spurgeon came into an auditorium, and this is before they had PA systems, and nobody was there, and he thought, I'm going to test the acoustics. And so he walked to the podium, and he said, uh, John 3.16, you know, God so loved the world, 
And he listened to it and he thought, oh, that's good, yeah. And then he walked out. Well, a few days later when he was doing the series there, uh, a man came up and he said, I want to thank you for, for um, bringing me to the Lord. And he said, I just want to let you know, I was the custodian and I was cleaning in the back when you came to test the acoustics. And all I heard was that verse that you said, and I gave my heart to the Lord right then. So one verse did it. That was less than 60 seconds. I would say one of the most important things you can do is you share your testimony, Holly. Um, you, you have to reduce it. But you can just say, you know, my life was a mess. I was so lost. I had no peace. And I found a Bible. I read the Bible and I brought Jesus into my, Jesus came into my life and he's transformed me. Now, right there, you're telling him where you were and where you've come from and what did it, the word of God. So they can go and say, well, I want to look at the Bible and find out more. Yeah, there's a variety of ways to talk to a person. I think you have to be careful about saying there's one set speech because my experience has told me everybody I talk to is at a different place in their life and you might need to say something different to them. And I'm always surprised after I preach from week to week, someone will come up to me and say, that's exactly what I needed to hear. No, I had no, never would have dreamed that's what they needed to hear, but God knew. So the Lord has to guide you from case to case when you have those brief encounters and you want to say something for the Lord. And keep in mind, you know what's helped me? Is I've sometimes thought, you know, um, how do I bring this person to the Lord? I've got, you know, I pick up a hitchhiker. I know I'm going to just take him five miles. I've only got, you know, 10 minutes or whatever. What can I say? And the Lord reminded me, you not, may not do all the, the sowing, the harvesting and reaping in 10 minutes. Maybe your job right now is to sow the seed. Someone else is going to cultivate the seed. It's going to grow and someone else will come along later and harvest. So nobody needs to feel like we've got to do the whole thing at once. But there are times, uh, happened to Karen and I this week, we went to visit a friend in the hospital in ICU, prayed with him. I actually was going to come and see him today, but I thought I better see him before I leave town. Went to the hospital, visited him in ICU, prayed with him. So thankful we did. He passed away that night. And you never know when a person is going to be hearing a prayer or the word of God for the last time happened to me this week. So you always want to pray God will lead you. Hey, thank you, Holly. I, I hope uh, that helps answer your question. And we're going to talk next with uh, Chris, who is calling from Florida. Chris, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Yes, uh, thank you, Pastor. Um, I just have a question about, uh, again, about uh, what happens to the believer when he dies. And the uh, I refer to First Thessalonians four fourteen. Okay, and so you well in First Thessalonians it says, of course, that the the Lord descends from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God. Then we who are alive and remain are caught up to meet them in the clouds. You, you know, it's pretty clear that we're sleeping. It says we don't need to sorrow as others that have no hope. So the dead are sleeping until the resurrection. Let me read verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep. So you're thinking that they're already alive and God brings them with him? Uh, correct. That the believers that died in Christ, they are alive uh, with God, uh, their uh, soul, spirit, if you will. Well, now, let me tell you why I think you're getting that idea. 
When he says, first of all, keep in mind, in verse 13, he sets the stage. I'm in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. He's talking about the dead. So you don't sorrow as others that have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that Christ didn't rise again until he rose again. He was dead in the grave until he rose. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now he gives the sequence. For we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means proceed. That means go before those who are asleep. Now it tells us when they rise. For the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. He's saying they rise to meet the Lord in the air first before us. Then we who are alive and remain are caught up to meet them. So when we get to the Lord, they're with him. That's why he says in verse 14, they're with him because they've risen first. But how can uh, Jesus bring uh, those that died in him uh, at the resurrection uh, if they are not with him? So do you think that when someone dies, they're conscious? No, I believe that there is distinction between the body and the soul, spirit. No, I, yeah, I don't mean that they're alive. I mean, but when someone dies in the Lord... Do you believe they're floating around and they're conscious of what's happening? No. Yeah, they're asleep. The Bible says the living know they'll die, but the dead don't know anything. And it says, until the resurrection, Jesus said, um, they'll be raised in the last day, John chapter 6. So the dead are sleeping. Yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I believe that the body dies, but, uh, but the spirit, soul, if you will, goes in it for in case of believer it's in presence of god do you believe it's a lot do you, do you believe it's conscious because it, it you read in ecclesiastes 9 it says the living know they'll die and the dead don't know anything and again it says in psalms that that the dead do not praise the lord you know if the soul of the deceased are praising god to be absent from the bodies to be present with the lord means as soon as you die there's no consciousness of time. Your next uh, awareness, your next consciousness is the resurrection at the second coming. So for you, it seems immediate. It's the twinkling of an eye. But Christ said the resurrection and the judgment are not till the last day. So the idea that disembodied souls are floating around and they're aware, and the Bible says they're asleep. Uh, Jesus performed 12 resurrections in the Bible. Well, not Jesus, but there are about 12 resurrections in the Bible, some by Christ. In all of those resurrections, none of them ever commented on any awareness during death. We do have a study guide. You may have already seen it, Chris. It says, are the dead really dead? I hope that may help a little bit. You're listening to Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Call us at 1-800-GOD-SAYS. For over 50 years, Amazing Facts has shared the wonderful news of salvation and provided millions of Bible resources to people all over the world. We've built churches in India, proclaimed God's Word in China, and have sent free Bible studies around the globe. Today's program and free resources were made possible by our ministry partners, caring individuals like you. If you've been blessed by Amazing Facts, would you please consider partnering with us to reach others with the Bible truth? Your financial support today will help keep programs like this on the air 
so the blessings you've received can be shared with others. To find out more about becoming a ministry partner, please visit our website at amazingfacts.org. Talking next with Anthony in Rochester, New York. Anthony, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Hi, Pastor Bachelor. How are you? Good. Thanks for calling and your question. Good. Um, my question is, I was wondering if um, you could put a, uh, a basic order of events of Jesus' betrayal in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because I look in Luke and I see it says that um, Judas came up immediately when they came with the soldiers and they, he came and kissed them. Uh, is Christ. And then I see in like John, uh, the soldiers come and they say, hey, where's where's Jesus? And he says, or, or they ask him, are you Jesus? And he says, I am. And they fall backwards or something like that. And so I just wonder between four gospels, like what is the order of events of when they came uh, to, to, to um, arrest Jesus? Yeah, it's a good question. You'll see. Yeah, and of course, this to me is proof that the Bible is true is because you're getting independent reports from John and Matthew and Mark about what happened and Luke uh, at that event. You know, I believe that Judas did. First of all, it's dark. Secondly, there was nothing really outstanding about the look of Jesus because Jesus always kind of slipped through the crowd. He looked like another Galilean or a Nazarene. So they said to Judas, they said, you know, you're going to know which one he is. Um, just so we don't arrest the wrong one, go up and you help identify him. And Judas came up and kissed him and said, Hail, Master. And he said, you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss. And as Jesus stepped away, Jesus asked them, who are you seeking? They said, we're seeking Jesus. He said, I am he. And they fell back. But I think that's after Judas had already kissed him. Now, that's been my understanding. Um you know, you kind of have to piece it together. But was there a specific part that you felt there might be a conflict? Um, yeah, it was mainly just that part. I, I, I wasn't sure if, uh, you know, which one came before the other or which circumstance came before the other. And then also the whole situation. Yeah. Hey, the, the An- Anthony, you're cutting out on us. I'm sorry, Anthony, sorry, your your phones, you might be too far away from the cell tower. It's kind of going in and out. Yeah, the events, when, when you line up the, the events around the cross, there are some Bibles that have a parallel gospel, and they, they actually put those things in chronological order. And you might find one of those, I'm pretty sure you will, online. And, of course, those are the opinions of commentators, but it does help it. It does help your understanding of how it can all fit. Anyway, thank you for your question, Anthony. I hope that helps a little bit. And we're going to go to um, Patricia calling from Washington. Patricia, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Good evening, pastors. Uh, thank you for taking my call. My question is about uh, the creation and the second day of creation, I've thought about this uh, for some time, and I have asked a couple of people, but I didn't um, get any specific answer. Uh, I think I may have, you know, I I have some thoughts about it, but the question is, why did God not say that the second day was good? I don't think it was something that was omitted every other day. Uh, God saw that it was good, but the second day he did not say anything about it being good. 
You know, that is a great question. Uh, the only thing I've come up with is what he made other days were tangible. On the second day, he makes an expanse, an atmosphere. It's something that is, it's air. You can't see it. You can't touch it. You can't hug it. You know what I mean? And so it may be that it was something, he makes a firmament and he's, it's the atmosphere. Light goes through it. Um, it it's basically a barrier of, you know, life-giving air that's going to, nothing in the world can live without this atmosphere that we've got. Separates Earth from every other planet. But it's not something tangible. You can see right through it. So that's the only thing I've come up with. I could be wrong, but that's a good question. He says everything else is good. The last day he says it's very good. Yeah. Well, apart from the symbolic, you know, of creation being symbolic of salvation, I sort of thought that maybe um, the God looking into the future maybe saw what would happen uh, with what he did on the second day, you know, the um, where the waters of the flood came from, and he knew that that was going to happen, and sort of in his foreknowledge, just it was he it was necessary, but it wasn't good. Oh, I see what you're saying. I've never thought of that before. That that's interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, someone else, uh, I think, may have suggested that because Satan was sometimes called the prince of the power of the air. Um, and on the second day, he made air atmosphere. And they thought, well, maybe that's why he didn't say it was good. It was a, a kind of a domain that uh, was associated at one point with the devil. I don't know. But it's a good question. And uh, thank you. I hope that helps a little. We're going to be talking next with, uh, is it Emil? calling from Massachusetts. Emil, is that right? Yeah. Yes. Good evening. Evening. Thank you for calling. Thank you, Pastor Doug, for your ministry. And uh, I really want to thank you for the person that came from your ministry to visit with us like a week ago. Oh, wonderful. Yes, we were very surprised that somebody took their time to come and visit with us. Well, praise the Lord. So thank you very much. Yeah. My question tonight is uh, related to somehow what you started the program with. I heard the minister uh, preaching about uh, how uh, we are not going to get to heaven not married, so we're going to have to be married when we get to heaven. And now I know that uh, Jesus said that it's not going to be marriage in heaven, but how are we going to be related to our wives or spouses when we're going to get to heaven? That's a good question. Um, you know, Jesus did say in heaven, they neither marry nor are they given in marriage. Now that the word marry is an actually, it's a verb, it's an action. And that seems to imply there are no new marriages. Keep in mind, God told Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. So at some point the earth would be filled. Theoretically, God probably did not plan for humans to procreate indefinitely or, you, you know, just be swimming in people, there'd be no world left just because of the way, you know, exponential growth works. So he said to go and to fill or inhabit the earth, subdue the earth. And once they had filled and populated the earth, they probably would, you know, everyone's going to be happy in heaven. Uh, God would not make us with any need that could not be satisfied. Now, does that make sense? God will not create us in heaven, even with our new bodies, with a need that would not be satisfied. So for those in this world, that are married, 
Now, I'm not talking about David or Solomon that had, you know, dozens of wives or Solomon had hundreds of wives. But will God give Adam and Eve divorce papers when they get to heaven? I suppose not. No. Probably not. Yeah. So those who so there may not be any new marriages, but for those who already are married and they're best friends in the kingdom, God's not going to tell them they can't live together. <laughs> so that's my opinion. And at least temporarily, there will be children in heaven because Bible talks about children playing, you know, children will be resurrected as children. They're not going to be resurrected as adults. Uh, or if there's children alive when Christ comes, you read in Malachi chapter 4, they'll go forth and grow up. So there's some growing that children do. It says in uh, Zechariah, the children will be playing in the streets safely. So for a while, anyway, there's going to be some children in the new earth. Hey, thank you. We're going to try and squeeze in another call, a meal before our um, break. And we're talking to Becky in Grand Ledge, Michigan. Becky, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Hi, Pastor Doug. Hi. Uh, my mom passed away last night. Mm. And I need prayer. And I need encouragement. I am so sorry to hear that. Would it be okay if I just have a prayer with you right now, Becky? Yes. Well, first of all, before I pray with you, let me give you a little encouragement. Was your mother a believer? Yes. Then you know the Bible says that it's not forever. It's just a temporary separation. If you are trusting in the Lord and she died trusting in the Lord, her next conscious thought is the resurrection and you will be reunited. And so you just pray that in the meantime, you can be a faithful witness and servant of the Lord. Just look forward to that day. Paul refers to the Lord's coming as the blessed hope. And when we will be reunited with the ones we love. And so let me just have a prayer for you right now, Becky. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for your your promises in your word that though uh, death is an enemy, that when Jesus comes, death will be destroyed. There'll be no more sting, no more victory to death. And even death and the grave will be cast into the lake of fire. And there'll be no more pain or suffering in the new world. I pray you be with Becky and just help her to find comfort the way that you comforted there at the tomb of Lazarus, because you brought him back, help Becky know that she can see her mother again and others who are grieving with her. I thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, thank you for your call, Becky. You know, um, I'm looking at the phone and I'm looking at the clock. Now, we are going to be taking a bunch more phone calls, so don't go away, friends, but it's probably not fair in the next 56 seconds to try to start another call. I like to start relaxed so I can think about the question give you a fair chance to articulate the question and do my best to answer it. Just in case you're wondering, uh, we don't ever want to cut anyone off, but we do try to budget the questions to about three, four minutes per person and to give as many people uh, a chance as they can. Uh, I also want to remind you that Amazing Facts has oodles and gobs of blizzard, a kaleidoscope of information at our website. You start clicking, it'll just go on and on with videos, Bible questions, booklets, articles, sermons, other websites that have great material. And so it's just a great one-stop shopping place for truth. And that's the Amazing Facts website. Very simple, amazingfacts.org. Going to come back for more questions. Stay with us. Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly. Within the pages of the Bible, stories of great heroes 
heroes of great deeds, great love, and great sacrifice. But behind them is another hero, hidden in plain sight amid the shadows. He was there from the beginning, and he'll be there until the end. Discover the golden thread of a savior woven throughout the entire Bible tapestry. Shadows of Light. Seeing Jesus in all the Bible. Get your copy today by calling 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com. The Bible tells us that salvation, of course, emanates from God. So we need to know something about God to rightly understand and embrace salvation. Yet in the church today, there's a great deal of confusion about the nature of God. Now the Bible says God is one God, but is he three persons? Is Jesus also eternal God? Because Jesus is the Son of God, does that mean there was a time when he did not exist or he was brought into existence? Is the Holy Spirit a person? Or is he just the force and the energy that God uses to communicate? You know, I thought this was so important, I really felt led of the Lord to write a book on the subject called Exploring the Trinity, One God or Three. In this book, we answer those very important questions. We talk about the history of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, as well as the history of the Holy Spirit in the church and how it has been much debated. This is something we really need to understand because Jesus said eternal life comes from knowing God. For life-changing Christian resources, visit afbookstore.com or call 1-800-538-7275. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, where every question answered provides a clearer picture of God and His plan to save you. So what are you waiting for? Get practical answers about the good book for a better life today. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live. Hello, listening friends. We are back. If you're tuning in, uh, we were Bible Answers Live. As was mentioned, I am Doug Batchelor. Pastor Jean Ross is off for the night, but we're going to be taking your Bible questions. If you're watching our stream, we stream this program, and sometimes people want to see as well as listen. It's at the Amazing Facts Facebook page, or you can go to the Doug Batchelor Facebook page, and it's uh, very simply a Doug Batchelor Facebook page. And uh, or amazing facts, but uh, we're going to go back to the phones and talking next with Lester, who's calling from Texas. Lester, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Hey, Pastor Doug, how are you? Good. Thanks for calling. Thanks. Um, my question is just regarding um, how do we deal with family members or friends that no longer have a desire to have a relationship with Christ, and just keeping in mind, like part of it, we don't want to just force anything on anyone. But at the same time, we have that urge or responsibility to actually be the hands and feet of Christ. Yeah, you, well, you need tact, diplomacy, grace, wisdom. You also need to, you know, evaluate. You, you've got some friends and family, uh, family you're specifically asking about, 
that are open. They may not be believing, but they're open to talk about it. And, you know, if the opportunity presents itself, share with them. Then you've got family, and sometimes parents have to do this with their kids. They become adults, and they say, you know, I don't know if I want to be a Christian now, and they're out in the world. Don't preach at them. You can drive them away where they don't want to hear anything. You've got to pray and pray that God watches over them, and he works in their hearts through the Spirit. And as opportunity presents itself, you always represent Christ. Now, with anybody, there's really three things you can do to reach them, whether they're family, friends, enemy. Those three things are share information if they're open to listen, be a good witness, and then pray for them. Those are the three things. They're powerful, but there's only three things. Let your light shine. Be a good example. Uh, if they'll discuss and you want to talk about, give them a Bible study, a book, a video, a link, whatever it is. So you share information. And then third thing is you pray for them. And uh, that goes a long way in trying to touch and reach the people that we care about. So does that help a little bit, Lester? Yeah, no, that, that definitely helps. Thank you. All right. Hey, thanks so much. We appreciate your call. And we're going to go talk to Mickey in Michigan. Mickey, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Hey, good evening. Evening. Thank you for taking the call. Yeah. Um, I was listening to you speak to that gentleman um, about the dead and whether or not when we die, do we go to heaven? And I thought about uh, what Jesus said. He said he's he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, not, he said, I'm the God of the living, not the dead. And it almost, you know, it sounds like he's saying they're with him currently in heaven. Well, when a person is asleep, they're not dead. Now, there are, we got to be careful because there are some exceptions. There are some people who are obviously with Christ. Moses appeared to Jesus. You can read in the book of Jude that Moses was specially resurrected. Elijah appeared to Jesus. Uh, and this is Mark chapter 9. Moses and Elijah appeared to him. Elijah went to heaven in a fiery chariot. The average person, when they die, the Bible says they're asleep. Let me give you an example. If you look in Acts chapter 2, keep in mind, Acts 2 is after the death and resurrection of Christ. Peter says in Acts chapter 2, David, his tomb is with us to this day. He is dead, buried, and not ascended to heaven. Well, that's pretty clear. David is dead, he's buried, he's not in heaven. And David is going to be in the resurrection. For David, when he died, about a thousand years B.C., his next conscious thought will be opening his eyes with a glorified body, but it's going to seem like three seconds for him, not 3,000 years. The, the dead are sleeping a dreamless, unconscious sleep until the resurrection. Uh, the Bible says, that, um, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I will. No, I was going to say the, the scripture as well that, you know, Paul, that Paul said uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So yeah. I will respectfully disagree with you on this one, but um, I appreciate you taking my call, sir. Well, I do. I actually agree with that verse because if you die, your next conscious thought is the resurrection and the presence of God. You know, there's no time now, but Jesus said when he came to the tomb of Lazarus, Martha said, well, I know he'll rise in the resurrection on the last day. The dead are asleep. And then it tells us in Ecclesiastes, as I mentioned earlier, the dead don't know anything. And the Bible says in Psalm 146, put not your trust in princes, neither in the son of man in whom there is no help. When he dies, his breath goes forth, his thoughts perish. 
you don't think anything until the resurrection and you get your glorified body. The reason this is important for Christians to understand is Saul tried to communicate with the dead and he died the next day. Uh, he, he was told not to consult the dead and people who think that the dead are floating around or their spirits are floating around and that you can communicate with them. Bible says that that's a sin. It's called consulting a medium. Uh, Isaiah said, you know, don't be trying to consult the dead. Uh, they're asleep. Jesus said, my friend Lazarus is asleep and uh, I'm going to wake him. That's John chapter 11. You know, anyone who has a question about that, I do hope you'll look for the study guide. It's free and it's called, Are the Dead Really Dead? And I think once a person reads that and they see all the verses, it starts to make sense. People are worried. They think, well, my loved one died and you're telling me they're just in the ground? No, they're not aware of being in the ground. Their next conscious thought is the presence of the Lord. But the resurrection hasn't happened yet. We live in time. God lives outside of time. They're not in heaven. Uh, God is not, they're not in Hades burning. The judgment hasn't happened. The resurrection, they're both future. Please order the study guide, Are the Dead Really Dead? Read it for free. Just go to the Amazing Facts website. That's amazingfacts.org. The study guide, if you'd like it, is 800-463, uh, I'm sorry, 800-835-6747. Uh, if you want that free study guide, 800-835-6747. Going to take another call. Uh, let's see here. Talking to Emmanuel, calling from Boston. Um, Emmanuel, you on the air? Yes. Hi, thanks for calling. Hi, Pastor. Thank you very much. I just have a, a question. I'm kind of confused regarding 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34 to 35, where they say uh, women should be silent in church. I just don't understand that part very well. I don't know if you can explain it to me better. I'll do my best, Emmanuel. Let me read it for our friends that are driving. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34, Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they're to be submissive, as the law says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it's shameful for women to speak in the church. Now, when Paul refers to as the law says, he's talking about a woman submitting to her husband when God said to, to Eve, he said, I'm going to multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you'll bring forth children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. What that means is that uh, between the man and the woman, that God was really saying that the man is to be the servant leader in the family. Just the Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. It says that uh, the head of Christ, a head of man is Christ, and the head of woman is man. And so men were designed to be the protectors, providers, leaders in the family. Now, in this verse here in 1 Corinthians, I don't think that Paul is making a unilateral statement that a woman can never speak in a church. You read all of 1 Corinthians, and they had some very unique problems where their church services were very disruptive. Uh, he talks a lot about people speaking in different tongues that people didn't understand. He said, you need to wait until there's a translator. And evidently, some of the women were teaching and correcting their husbands in front of others and interrupting the service. Keep in mind that in this culture, the women and men often did not sit together. I go to church in India frequently, and the men and women don't sit together in most of the churches. Uh, they sit separately because the idea is they, they want their minds to be pure. 
You see that in, in some Muslim countries. Back in Bible times, the men and women did not sit together. They did not in the Hebrew synagogues, and chances are the early churches they did not. So women were calling across the, the uh, barrier or calling across the courtyard or whatever the meeting was, talking to their husbands, correcting their husbands, teaching their husbands. And, and Paul said, this is embarrassing your husbands. Don't interrupt. Be submissive. Ask them when you get home. They're not saying a woman's never to speak in church because you have cases where you have women who are prophetess and you have the daughters of Philip that did prophesy. You've got uh, Hannah who was in the temple. You have Anna in the New Testament who spoke in the temple when Jesus was dedicated. So, you know, I have a book, Emmanuel. I'll send you a free copy if you'd like it. And it's called Women in Ministry and it addresses these verses. Anybody, if you want to understand this better, I'd recommend you ask for the free book women in ministry and call the resource line that's 800-835-6747 800-835-6747 and ask for the book women in ministry thank you for your call emmanuel going to talk next to yvonne in north carolina yvonne you're on the air with bible answers live oh hi um i was i was calling because um i'm currently reading through first chronicles and in the chronologies. In First Chronicles 6, verse 39, and in verse 44, I was, uh, it kind of caught my eye because in, in verse 39 of First Chronicles 6, it mentions the right hand. And then in verse 44, it mentions the left hand. So it kind of threw me off a little bit. So I was kind of curious about that. All right. Well, we're going to, we're going to look at this together because I don't know that I've ever um, had that question before. Let me read it. And his brother Asaph, who stood at his right hand, was Asaph, the son of Barakiah, the son of Shimea. And then you said in verse, what was the other one? 40? 44. Okay. And their brethren, the sons of Mariai, on the left hand were Ethan, the son of Kishai, and Abdi, the son of Maluk. Uh, oh, you know what? Here he's talking in, in um, this is talking about, I believe, the uh, musicians in the house of the Lord and where they were stationed. They actually had them on the right and the left, I think, in the temple. And so he's basically saying, you know, where these different uh, choir leaders were, I think that they were from the house of Levi or Aaron, where they were stationed in the temple as they sang, they're singers. Yeah, this is from the family of Levi, which was Moses' family and Aaron. How can like a common person like me gain a spiritual blessing from reading, from reading like this chapter, for instance? How would I know that? Well, you know what? The Bible is like a mine. And sometimes you've got some nuggets that are laying on the surface, and then you've got some that are underground. You dig a little bit, and then sometimes you've got a tunnel for and you might find gold and diamonds, but they're harder to get, and it may take a little longer. Uh, when I first started reading the Bible, this, I couldn't even say these names. just went totally over my head. But uh, the Bible just, uh, it's got treasure as you go deeper. Let me give you an example. When you get to uh, Revelation, and it talks about the 144,000, well, you know, then you read Chronicles, you say, wow, look at that. David divided the the army and he divided the priests into 288 which is twice 144 and you start saying oh so when you get to the new testament it talks about the 12 apostles and the 144,000 they're all derivatives of 12 and you start seeing the perfect numbers that are here 
And the other thing is each one of these names, you can get yourself a dictionary of Bible names. There's a meaning. And when you go through the meaning of the names, it actually sometimes tells you something. The Bible is very deep and it's a, uh, an amazing book. You'll never plumb the depths. There's always more. Amen. Thank you. So if you read, if you read something right away and you don't understand it, it, just keep in mind that children don't understand everything their parents say the first day they meet. They, it takes sometimes years of listening before they comprehend. <laughs> and sometimes you're 30 years old before you realize what your parents actually said when you were a kid. Oh, now that makes sense. You know what I mean? Yes. Thank you so much. All right, Yvonne. Thanks for your call. Can't get enough Amazing Facts Bible Study? You don't have to wait until next week to enjoy more truth-filled programming. Visit the Amazing Facts Media Library at AFTV.org. At AFTV.org, you can enjoy video and audio presentations as well as printed material all free of charge. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, right from your computer or mobile device. Visit AFTV.org. Did you know Amazing Facts has a free Bible school that you can do from the comfort of your own home? It includes 27 beautifully illustrated study lessons to aid in your study of God's Word. Sign up today for this free Bible study course by calling 1-844-215-7000. That's 1-844-215-7000. For life-changing Christian resources, visit afbookstore.com or call 1-800-538-7275. You're listening to Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Call us at 1-800-GOD-SAYS. All right, talking next with Donna calling from Oklahoma. Donna, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. I am here. Thank you, Pastor Doug. I appreciate you answering the question. Yes. Okay. My question is, Adam and Eve walking in the garden, okay, they had just sinned and they're still walking in the garden. Now, how could they look upon God after they had sinned? Well, uh, the the way I understand it is, have you ever been in a dark room and then someone turns on the light, a bright light, and it just blinds you because uh, it hurts your eyes. Your eyes are adjusted. Adam and Eve had just sinned. They had been living in the light and the glory of God. Their eyes were not yet adjusted to the darkness that was kind of coming upon the world. And so shortly after their sin, when God came and met with them, they already felt convicted because they ran from his presence. And maybe maybe God veiled his glory with some cloud as he did with uh, the children of Israel when he spoke the law. We don't know. But my opinion is that they had been so recently living in the presence of God, their eyes had not grown used to the dark yet, and they could still at least temporarily behold his his presence. Okay, I understand that. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Appreciate your question. We're going to talk next to Christy, who's calling from New Mexico. Is it Christine? You're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Hello, Pastor. My question is regarding efficiency. Chapter 4, verse 11. I just want to clarify if churches is required or is it necessary for churches to have a prophet that is alive at the present time? All right, let me read about the gifts of the Spirit. He says here in uh, Ephesians 4, 11, 
and he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Uh, you know, I think technically we do have most of what you see here. The word prophet in, in the Bible did not always mean somebody that was going around like Elijah or John the Baptist uh, with some profound message or predicting the future. Uh, the Bible talks about Philip, I mentioned earlier, had four daughters that did prophesy. The word prophesy sometimes meant to speak in behalf of another, and that simply means to teach. I think that uh, it's just saying that we, we still need people in the church that have that gift of teaching. I do think we have that today. Now there's a spiritual, there's a special gift of prophecy that God gives people. I believe in all the gifts of the Spirit, and there may be people who are prophets out in the world in the church today. I believe that. Before God does anything significant, he usually sends a prophet. Before the flood, he sent Noah. Uh, you know, before the children of Israel were carried away to captivity, he sent uh, Jeremiah and Isaiah. Before Jesus' first coming, he sent John the Baptist. Before the deliverance from Egypt, he sent Moses. Whenever there's something big about to happen, it seems like God sends a prophet. It would make sense before the second coming that the gifts of prophecy would still be alive in the church. You may not have apostles in the sense, people that walked and talked with Jesus on earth, but there are still leaders in the church today. Even the apostles replaced Judas, Acts chapter 1, when, um, when he died uh, by his own hand. All right, thank you very much. And uh, Christine, we're going to talk next to Dwight. Dwight, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Hey, Doug, I got a quick question, not really a, a verse in mind, but uh, kind of along the lines of spiritual gifts and uh, different things. Um, how, like, how did David know? Uh, I know he, he knew he was supposed to be king, but how did he know he wasn't making a mistake at that time or it wasn't God's plan for him to kill Goliath or whatever? And kind of like in our lives, whether it's business or where you're going to go to school or where you need to live or whatever, how do you know that you're not going against God's will in some situation where you're trying to be holy and you think, yeah, I'm going to take this down. God's behind me. And then you end up dead or something. <laughs> yeah. You, well, you mean with Goliath or with King Saul? Because David refused to kill King Saul when he had a chance to be king. No, but I mean Goliath. Yeah, but Goliath. Because nobody, nobody wants to fight Goliath except here's David out of nowhere. He knew he was going to be king. Uh, one day he was told it that uh, before then, but what if he was making a mistake and it was God's plan or something? That's what I'm trying to figure out how to apply that to our lives. Yeah, I'll tell you what I think uh, on that is the Holy Spirit came on David when he was anointed. He was filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides you. The Holy Spirit also gives you boldness. It kind of gives you this holy audacity. And when when you read in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, you know, pray for boldness for me. And in Acts chapter 4, the disciples prayed that God would give them boldness. They would not be intimidated or afraid, that they'd have courage. God told uh, Joshua, have courage, be very courageous, I'm with you. David had that kind of courage. He had that confidence that someone needed to step up in behalf of God. And God was bigger than Goliath. And you know, David goes against Goliath and he says, you've got the sword, the spear, the shield, but I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord. So he had this relationship with the Lord that gave him a holy confidence. And that's, yeah, that's just what I see in the story is Holy Spirit gives you boldness. Would you say that's similar then to a lot of highly successful people or 
you know, these NFL players or people who just have extreme discipline and drive to do something. It's kind of a similar mindset. You know, they did a study. It's interesting you would ask that. Back during World War II, my dad was a, a pilot in World War II. He flew in D-Day, and, and he became a very successful man. He was a multimillionaire. And a, a lot of the people who became very successful, they interviewed a bunch of the pilots that survived the war, and they found out the ones that survived some of the serious fighting took calculated risks. The ones who were afraid of risk often did not survive. And it was just a very interesting study, and I wish I could name it for you or put my finger on it. Some of the very successful people, they do have a boldness, and they take calculated risks. And, you know, they say greater risk, greater reward. You just don't want to take the, the wrong risk and lose big, too. Anyway, I hope that helps a little bit, but that, good question. I appreciate that, Dwight. Going to talk next to, let me see here, uh, Angelina in Minnesota. Angelina, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Are you there? Am I getting the name right? Yep, Angelina, you might have your phone muted. Angelina, Minnesota, Bible Answers Live. Are you there? Going once. Angelina. Angelina, you there? going twice. Okay. Now we're going to talk to Leonella in Texas. Am I saying that right? Yes. Hi. And your question? Um, my question was um, in the Garden of Eden, before Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree, were they, were they immortal? And then they became mortal after they ate the fruit? Yeah, good question. And where could I find that? Well, where it talks about eating from the tree of life, you find that in chapters uh, 1 and 2. And, well, chapter 3, of course, they're barred from the tree of life. And God said he wouldn't let them eat of the tree of life lest they eat and live forever. He didn't want them to be immortalized sinners. So there evidently was something in the tree that helped to perpetuate life. It, it at least kept your cells from dying. They didn't need to eat it every day. I mean, Adam and Eve lived over 900 years. It doesn't tell us Eve's exact age, but we're assuming that she lived about the same age. We're going to eat from the tree of life even in heaven. We still need it because we've got real bodies, but we'll live forever because we get to eat from this tree. All you got to do is, you know, once every 200 years or so, I don't know. Um, you, we've got to continue to eat from it. It prevents the cells from dying. It adds something, some essence of life. See, even doctors don't understand why, you know, they're wondering if it's stem cells or what it is. Something about when we're young, are, are we heal so quickly. And the reason we end up dying is because the cells lose the ability to regenerate and something starts to decay and they haven't put their finger on it. Everybody's looking for that fountain of youth. But God says we're not going to get it until we get to the new earth with that tree in the Garden of Eden. So was there two trees? Was there a bad one, the one that the serpent was on, and then there was the tree of life? Yes, the Bible says in the midst of the garden there were two trees. One was the tree of life, one was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the one they were not supposed to eat from. God did not want them to experience the evil. So then they were immortal, but when they ate from that tree, the bad one, they became mortal? Uh, well, yeah, in the sense that when they ate from that tree, they sinned, and the penalty for sin is death. But it doesn't say the fruit made them mortal. No longer eating from the tree of life made them mortal. Oh, I see. I see. 
it doesn't say anywhere they ate from the tree of good and evil and they started to die because the fruit did something to them. It does say they were driven from the garden so they could no longer eat from the tree of life. Hey, thank you so much, Leonella. I appreciate that. And uh, we're, I just didn't want to cut you off. We're running out of time for this broadcast. Friends, if we didn't get your call, God willing, give us another chance and we'll study his word together again next week. And keep in mind, we are an entirely faith-based ministry. We'd appreciate so much. Just go to amazingfacts.org. Click donate. Keep us on the air for yourself or someone else. God bless. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California. An international pandemic killing thousands, riots ripping communities apart, a global economic implosion. Many are wondering, is this the end of the world? Few question the military, economic, and technological might of the United States. So if we really are facing the last days, if these worldwide catastrophes are really harbingers of the end, shouldn't we expect the United States to play a key role in the final events of Bible prophecy? The book of Revelation provides unmistakable clues. And to help you understand them, Amazing Facts is releasing America in Bible Prophecy. It's going to take you step by step in identifying the global forces at work in these last days. You might be surprised what the Bible really says. You owe it yourself to find out. So get yourself a copy of America in Bible Prophecy. If you enjoy hearing solid biblical answers on Bible Answers Live, you can have those same insights at your fingertips through the Amazing Facts Prophecy Study Bible. The updated hardcover version is available at its lowest price ever and includes the complete set of Amazing Facts 27 study guides, plus a Bible numbers and symbols chart and eight pages of colorful maps. This best ever Bible gives you a biblical cyclopedic index. Words of Christ in Red, Chronology of the Old Testament, along with Doug Batchelor's How to Study the Bible feature, and much more. Call us at AF Bookstore to learn more about it at 1-800-538-7275. The Amazing Facts Prophecy Study Bible stands apart from other Bibles, giving you the same solid answers you hear each week on Bible Answers Live. Order your copy today at afbookstore.com or by calling 1-800-538-7275. For life-changing Christian resources, visit afbookstore.com. If you'd like to enhance your study of God's Word, visit our website at www.amazingfacts.org and sign up for our free Bible study course. And make sure to check out our online bookstore at afbookstore.com, which offers thousands of inspiring books, DVDs, and more to help you get the most out of God's Word. To take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast, call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org.